I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to How to Lend Money to Strangers, the podcast about lending strategies around the world and across the credit life cycle. Today, we're visiting Hong Kong, a city that's very close to my own heart after I spent eight years living there. Those eight years ended three years ago, and a lot can change in three years, especially these last three years. So I decided to call in Dr. Francis Lau to give us a more up-to-date overview of the market. Francis has a PhD, a CFA, and a wealth of experience in retail finance in the region, and in fact was my replacement when I left TransUnion Hong Kong for the UK office. Welcome to the show, Francis. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, normally, I would introduce you as my upgrade at TransUnion Hong Kong, but you've also recently struck out on your own. So would you mind starting the show by just giving us a quick overview of your background and the work that you're doing at the moment? Nice to meet all of you. And then I'm Francis Lau. I have grown up in Hong Kong. I work in Hong Kong. And also I am familiar with the Asia Pacific market. I have been working for about 18 years, uh, mostly focusing in the data analytics area, supporting, and I would say, consumer banking, corporate banking, and even the compliance and risk functions. I also have a, a research degree, and I'm now focusing on doing more on the education training side of things. Now, Francis, Hong Kong is a very small market, especially if people are contrasting it to the stories coming out of mainland China, where Hong Kong's seven and a half million citizens might be won over by fintech in a, in a matter of months as customers. So their first reaction may be to dismiss it as not all that exciting. However, I wanted to bring you in because I think there are a lot of transferable lessons in there, especially for lenders that are targeting higher income, lower risk customer bases. Because while Hong Kong is small, I think it's also very concentrated and quite an extreme example of that scenario where, and this is an oversimplification, but a lot of the customer base is relatively high income and almost all of it is exceptionally low risk. So the target customers of a prime high street bank, perhaps. And that's a segment that can be quite tricky to lend to. Do you think that's a fair description? I would say generally speaking, Hong Kong market is, uh, as you have said, is very low risk because of many reasons. I think first of all is because uh, we are Hong Kong and also Asian people are very conservative and then they also look at credit very seriously. So that's why over the years, Hong Kong has exceptionally low delinquency rate, even during the crisis period, like uh, during the peak of the COVID last year, we saw some uh, some upheavals in the uh, in the delinquency rates, but overall speaking, we only have a fraction of a percentage point. I would say, even for the more high risk, like unsecured uh, lending, personal loans, is still 
less than a percentage point of delinquency for serious delinquency rate. I think that's the good evidence that Hong Kong is a low risk area. And as you have said, high income, that is uh, half half, I would say 50% true is because in Hong Kong, you know that we have a very distinct income gap. We have very rich people and also we have a segment of people which is living under subsistence level. The, the income gap is, is very big. But before the meeting, I have go to the web and then search for some information, which is showing that for the wealth distribution, for those adult population having 100,000 to 1 million US dollar is over 54%. That means the uh, the wealth level in Hong Kong is a so small, as you have said, a so small place. Over half have 100,000 to uh, 1 million US dollar assets or, or wealth. So I think that's really a wealthy place. And Francis, I think that one of the reasons behind that wealth and indeed the disparity in wealth is properties. So Hong Kong is the most expensive property market in the world. And that's all happened over the last 30 or so years. So you've had a population of property owners who become incredibly wealthy. But those people without a property are under ever more pressure to keep up with rising rents on the back of that growth. And when we talk about rising property values, I think the average year-over-year growth rate for the last decade is 10%. So significant growth over a persistent level. One of the worries that has to have entered mortgage lenders' minds is how sustained that would be through a crisis like the COVID pandemic we've just been through, especially with Hong Kong's history with SARS. How have property prices held up? Yes, I think that's one of the reasons why there is so big a income gap in in Hong Kong or the wealth gap in Hong Kong. The land supply in Hong Kong is very uh, limited. And going back in history, the government regulated the supply of land. And of course, that pushed up the the property prices. Uh, And as you have said, in Hong Kong, the the property markets in general is going up. But we have some downside uh, during the the last 20 years. Like, for example, the the 1997-1998 Asian financial crisis, of course, 2003 SARS and also the uh, 2008 financial tsunami. But I just uh, found out some statistics from the government. You you know, in Hong Kong, we have the rating and valuation department, and then they release the the property price index every single month. So it's really interesting that even though we go through a long period of uh, nearly two years of pandemic, the property prices uh, had adjusted at the beginning of the pandemic, but it reaches a historical high in July to 2021. Uh, Hard to imagine. According to the latest statistic, the uh, month-on-month changes for the property price index uh, has dropped 0.2%. Uh, that means the August one compared with uh, July one. But still year-on-year, year, we have a 4% growth. And also, I have got the uh, Hong Kong MA statistic on the residential mortgage survey. And you can see that for uh, August 2021, the new applications for mortgage dropped 8.2%. That The high property prices may have an impact on that. So there's been some volatility and a slowdown in growth by Hong Kong standards, but at 4% year over year, certainly not enough to make any mortgage lenders panic. And I think even more so than that, this has come on the back of not just COVID, but the political and social unrest that preceded it. So if I was a mortgage lender looking at that, you would hope that that's among the worst that could happen. And yet properties have held up very well, in part due to that supply shortage you mentioned. But yeah, I mean, you would take confidence in your security off the back of that. 
So this is uh, telling us a story about the, how the property market behave. But obviously, you will have heard of news that the central government is trying to provide more directions to the Hong Kong property market because that's definitely impacting the, the ordinary lives of Hong Kong people because of the high property prices and also that translate into high rental. And more important is tomorrow, the chief executive will announce her last a policy address, and people expect there will be a big portion about the land policy, how to increase supply of land and also properties in Hong Kong. And here we are with a quick update on that. So when I heard that the CEO was making her address the day after our initial recording, I asked Francis to join me for a follow-up, and here's what he picked up from her speech. So for the policy address of the chief executive, uh, 2021, one of the major uh, vision for the Hong Kong government is to uh, build a so-called northern metropolis, like a new uh, town area which can house 2.5 million people, comprising an area of 300 square kilometers. And the, the area will cover like Tin Shui Wai, Yunnong, Fanning, Shang Shui. This is the, the farmland, the underdeveloped land in the uh, new territories. In the policy address, there are also infrastructure investment to build more railroads to connect these, you can say, a little bit remote part of new territories and then to open up the economy there. Because uh, we have uh, the Greater Bay Area and then we try to make better integration with the uh, Shenzhen uh, and also the Guangdong area. Uh, more near-term measures is to, is to uh, ease the uh, selling of, uh, of the farmland to uh, is the uh, selling of the old buildings in the in the urban area to facilitate rebuilding. So that's the type of measures the government is doing to increase the land supply. And now if we shift just a little bit, last week I joined TransUnion's quarterly update. Uh, for anybody who's interested in the Hong Kong market in more detail, do join that. It's very informative. And one of the things I saw in that was that credit card originations were starting to return to pre-pandemic levels, which is obviously good news. But if I remember correctly from my time there, even pre-pandemic levels of growth weren't exceptional. Cards have been struggling for good growth for a while. And when I left, the biggest concern on the horizon was the emergence of the Chinese super apps. And people were questioning, as cash left society, was Card going to gather some of that spend? Or was that spend all going to be gathered up by WeChat and Alipay? But you've had a more recent look at the market. So what are your thoughts on Card's growth and the biggest competitors for credit card growth in Hong Kong at the moment? So I think you have uh, outlined a uh, competitive landscape. But let me give you the uh, idea behind this. Even uh, for myself, I use the online payment like uh, WeChat Pay. In Hong Kong, I use Alipay, which is provided by Alibaba. But the thing is, usually for this type of mobile payment apps, they are bundled to your credit card or even tied to your savings account. But I think it's in general helping the credit card business. Of course, there are some competition. Uh, if the user, they not tie their, their credit card with the mobile payment apps. I think that's one of them. But let me give you some other statistics I also get from the Hong Kong MA, uh, which give you some idea about the payment card segment. The total number of credit cards in circulation is 19 million in Hong Kong and also dropped by a year on year is 1.5%. That means the total number of cards in circulation is dropping. And also there, there are two uh, important statistics also, the total number of credit card transactions. 
on a quarterly basis, it's grow by 7%. And on a year basis, it's grow by 15%. That means the number of cars is dropping uh, slightly, but the number of car transactions is growing. It seems like the consumers in general are consolidating the credit card, but they still use it as their medium to con- conduct transactions. And I think for the, for the competition uh, with the mobile apps, mobile payment apps, some of them may be complementary. But I think nowadays we have an even bigger competition coming, the, the BNPL, the buy now, pay later, which definitely will have an impact on credit card transactions. Uh, let's wait and see. <laughs> yes, the now nearly universal story of buy now, pay later as an emerging threat. As for the payment apps then, it seems that they've evolved more along the Apple Pay line where although the card issuer is losing out some engagement by disappearing from the front end, they're still capturing the settlement and the balances in the back end. But before we leave this point, I just want to loop back to a number you mentioned there of 19 million credit cards in issue. That's for what? Four, four and a half million card carrying consumers. So the typical person with a credit card in their wallet has four or five credit cards in their wallet. And that means when we talk about industry numbers, we can't really tell the whole story by talking about the total or talking about the average. Because for any credit card issuer, the real story that's important to them is about how they're winning their share of the market. And it also means that even before we take into account the threat of things like buy now, pay later or Chinese super apps, there's already an incredibly competitive landscape. Could you maybe sketch that out a little bit more for us? I can, I can answer your question as a consumer. <laughs> and in general, I can also share my viewpoint on the whole market. No doubt, Hong Kong is a very competitive market. The credit card issuers are facing strong competition. For myself, I think I have more than five cards. But in general, I will focus on one or two cards. That's my major transaction uh, medium. Why I want to just focus on using one or two cards is because of, uh, of the benefits, because of the uh, discounts or because of the cashback. You can go to different shops or restaurants, you have discounts, you have rebates, and then on different purchases, you have also uh, other privileges. That's the major motivation. I think uh, in general, that's true for other consumers in Hong Kong. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And on the other hand, as you have said, because there are always uh, new cards coming out uh, with new features, especially the welcome gifts, you spend a few thousand dollars and then you can get some cash coupon or you can get some uh, premium, uh, whatever. 
then that will motivate you to to apply for new card. But after that, you will just sit there. I think that's a, a very normal way of life. So there are many dormant cards in Hong Kong. That's the way the credit card market works. And that's why in Hong Kong, if you open a new card, the acquisition cost is very high. And also the maintenance cost is also high because uh, on an annual basis, the customers will ask you, uh, like myself, I will not pay any annual fee. I will not pay, uh, I will ask them to waive it uh, or not. I will cancel the card. Unless I'm a rewarder, the banks has only can can earn its transaction fee. They can just uh, earn the transaction uh, levy from, from uh, what I have spent. So how to stimulate con- consumers to use the card to spend is another expensive uh, way. Like, uh, for example, you need to have joint campaign with the stores offering uh, so much percentage or, re- or rebate to the customers. We need to really figure out growth strategies uh, to balance between the acquisition cost, maintenance, maintenance cost, and also the, the, the transaction volume and also the balances. Yeah, and which is interesting when you see it in the context of a market like the UK, where I think we're 1.1 credit card per user and interchanges are capped very low if, if they're there at all. So there doesn't exist a culture of rewards. But you can very clearly see if one card issuer decides to win customers through something as repeatable as spending on rewards, it can very soon become a arms race where the winner is the one who can give the most expensive reward out and still make a profit. But I think what's changing now, and you've mentioned buy now, pay later, is the awareness that that's unsustainable. We have to instead compete on customer experience. And perhaps that's what buy now, pay later is going to show the industry You can compete among yourselves for as long as you like, giving ever better rewards. But if you're not investing in better customer experiences, then somebody can come in with a completely different model and win your market share. And that price war would have been expensive for the card issuers to maintain and it would have kept profits relatively low. But I think it's also a barrier to entry. So if a fintech was looking to get a card business up and running in Hong Kong, it would be very hard to justify because the cost of winning a customer is so high, the cost of maintaining a customer is so high, it's hard to see where they would get enough capital to make big inroads. However, where competitors are coming in and saying, actually, I'm going to deliver a better customer experience and I'm going to win your customers that way. And now this arms race is circumvented or even flipped because you know, you'd normally think of fintechs or startups in general as being experts at customer experience. Staying on that idea of taking on the big players via better customer experience. When I was leaving Hong Kong, the government had just issued its first set of virtual banking licenses. I think names had been attached to successful bidders, but it was still too early for anybody to actually be operating. But in the last three years, we have seen a number of virtual banks go through the end-to-end process and now emerge in the market as fully-fledged businesses. How has their emergence changed the financial landscape in Hong Kong? Okay, I think that's the uh, that's also an, an, an interesting uh, area. Um, and as I told you, I have uh, go through some uh, report. I found one uh, which is published by KPMG. In in Hong Kong, we have eight virtual banks, which has all of them in operations now. And the KPMG report is good that they provide some financial figures for these banks. You can see in terms of interest income. The Chongon Bank has the highest uh, interest income, and even the asset level is the highest for the Chongon Bank. I can tell you the first three. The, the second one 
Uh, and also the third one uh, is no doubt the Leafy Bank and also the Air Star Bank. They have got uh, the same net interest income. And in terms of assets, they are also uh, come the second and also the third. Uh, and uh, you know that in Hong Kong, the virtual bank are very, are very aggressive in uh, getting customer deposit. First of all, it's customer deposit. And then the other hand is to do uh, loans themselves. Like the Air Star Bank, they are doing a huge promotion in the market for, for P-loans, interest-free and also a payment-free uh, benefit. Uh, if you join the program, and then they encourage you to, to transfer the balance to grow the box. Another uh, example is the Ping An Bank, the Ping An One Connect Bank. They are very um, aggressive in the SME market. Actually, the, the eight of them are in operations, but they, they have very different strategy. But in general, all of them look to uh, the Greater Bay Area. That's the, the growth engine. Because in Hong Kong, you know that we are a very small market, uh, but in Hong Kong, under Hong Kong MA, uh, Hong Kong Monetary Authority, um, the AI, the authorized institutions, we have about 200 AIs in Hong Kong. And also for money lenders, the number is, is astronomical. We have 2,500 money lenders in Hong Kong. Uh, so small place, not all of them are very active, but you can see we have 200 banks, over 2,000 money lenders, only a 7.5 million uh, population. How to make a profit? The competition is exceptionally high. So that's why uh, all the banks, all the financial institutions look to um, the Greater Bay. We have a 70 million population. With the Greater Bay Area being Hong Kong and Macau, plus the neighboring mega cities on the Chinese mainland, Shenzhen, Guangzhou. Yes, the, the, we, we call the nine plus two. There, there is nine municipalities in China, and including Hong Kong and also Macau, there is 11. If you think about Hong Kong and its traditional position as a financial powerhouse in the East, that was well utilized by the capital market, so capital could flow in and out very easily. But in consumer banking, it was always geographically constrained. You could only lend to the people that lived in Hong Kong. And as we've said, that's only about seven and a half million people. They might be rich, but it's still a small market. But now that's an export market as such for Hong Kong financial innovation. So if a fintech starts in Hong Kong and comes up with a successful model, they can suddenly look at the far bigger market just across, well, now just across the bridge. Yes. And I think that's why the... Uh, the virtual banks are, are looking toward that uh, with their business model because they are not the bricks and mortar banks. They serve their customers uh, via online channels. So whether the customer is in Hong Kong or whether it's in Shenzhen or in Guangzhou, make no difference. They just serve it through a mobile app or even uh, other online channel. Which gets me thinking back a bit as well. So when I left Hong Kong, the banks were slowly losing market share to the money lenders or the non-banking financial services providers. But in that TransUnion webinar, I saw that the trend was starting to reverse itself and banks as a singular unit were regaining market share. And that got me wondering, was that because of virtual banks perhaps? Were they presenting a more customer-friendly, more risk-hungry face to the banking industry? Or do you think it's something more mundane just around cost of capital or stability during the crisis? It's not a simple question. I would say it's not a simple question. But a, a virtual bank will be, will be part of the answers to that question. Because as I've said before, the virtual banks are targeting consumers to open up new uh, credit accounts or, or transferring their credit accounts to them. And, and you know that in Hong Kong, the consumers who have P-loans definitely are having some financial needs. I don't say financial troubles, but financial needs. And those who, 
who are super prime or even the prime plus those those up on the uh, the risk tier they they may have very limited credits and, and also you know that in hong kong the commercial banks usually focus on the the, the prime tiers for the consumers but for those who are more on the near prime or the below prime and level those are usually targeted by the money lenders but for for virtual banks they will target those consumers because i think that will be the growth engine but those numbers you have seen i think will be more the, the virtual banks or maybe the the second or third tier banks may be part of the answer to it or is it because um, the access to capital i think that's a more complicated question but uh, company registry have issued a new set of rules to govern the renewal of license for the money lenders they put up more on the uh, the management and also on the continuing credit monitoring process that will definitely uh, raise the standard of the money lenders to make sure that the borrowers are able to repay if not then uh, the lenders cannot lend to them to promote the responsible lending yeah so a number of factors but it does seem like primarily when it comes to personal loans it's virtual banks against money lenders for the most part but with that added interesting layer from regulation so we've spoken about virtual banks not being banks in the way they deliver service, but at the same time, they might bring just enough banking heritage to do really well at the regulatory side of things that the money lenders are now having to get their heads around. So a space to watch for sure. Should we finish by talking about what you're doing now? In the introduction, you talked about getting back into education. What is that looking like on a day-to-day basis? Yes, let me give you some more background. I used to be uh, conducting training for different types of organizations. And recently, I worked closely with the universities in Hong Kong to try to provide them programs. I developed the program myself first, and then I am the instructor. And also, I will find other people to become instructor. Because I know that nowadays, for those graduates, especially the business graduates, because I myself am a business graduate, uh, usually for the technical skills like the programming skills, they are not very familiar with. Uh, but for myself, I when I work for the banks, I learn how to use SAS, uh, Python, R by myself. And so that's why I want to increase or enhance the employability of the, the, the graduates and for those youngsters. So I try to develop uh, and also provide some technical training for, 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 for them, but with a more uh, fintech environment scenarios, which can help to develop the talents, the, the next generation in our job market. The Hong Kong MA has released the, the vision to upgrade Hong Kong into a fintech hub. But given that we have a limited uh, supply of talents, I think that's, that's a bottleneck. So that's why I'm trying to engage in that area. Not just Hong Kong is facing that challenge. Uh, always there are a limited supply of the talents. And more important, what I saw is as a person who work on the, uh, I would say the research and also the analytics areas, you can't just rely on the IT team or the analytics team or to generate the results for you. Because every time uh, you and I have the experience, if you want to change some of the angle in looking at the data, you need to ask the data science team. They may be uh, occupied by other tasks. Uh, the turnaround time will be quite long. And also you need to make them understand what you need. So better to do it yourself. That skill set, the, the data skill is definitely uh, need to be one of the necessary skill for the, the next generation. That's a great point, Francis. Data is only going to become more and more important and the basic level of what counts as data literate is going to keep rising. 
So yes, you'll be working in a team with real data experts who can do the really complicated work, but you don't want to get caught sending off a request, waiting for the data to come back, working on it a little, realizing you maybe asked slightly wrong questions, sending it back, getting it tweaked, getting it back to you, realizing now you want to compare it to a different year, sending it back. You want to at least have the ability to take a data set, slice it up, look at a few scenarios and really understand the question and then hand it over to the experts. I think that's going to be a core competency of anybody in business uh, in the future. So you're doing some great work there. Francis, thank you so much for joining the show. It's been an absolute pleasure catching up. And thank you all for listening. If you're enjoying the content, don't forget to subscribe and to share. This has been How to Lend Money to Strangers, a podcast about lending strategies around the world and across the credit lifecycle. And I'll see you next Thursday for another episode in one of my old hometowns as we take a closer look at lending in the Nordics. Deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.